Amen. Thank you, ladies, for that. We're going to go to Proverbs chapter number three. Proverbs chapter number three. Stand in honor of the word of God. Proverbs chapter number three. When Pastor called me about preaching tonight, I was like, great. You know, I've been preaching out quite a bit. I got quite a few messages. Then I'm thinking about all these internet junkies we got around here watching all the sermons. So it would be like preaching an old message. And uh, I was still half tempted to do it, see how, test to see how many people could still stay awake. Uh, the Holy Spirit had different plans. So we're going to put him to the uh, credit on this for certain. In Proverbs chapter number 3, we're going to start verse number 5. We're going to read very familiar. We know these passages exceptionally well. We use this as a jump off point and jump deeper into the Old Testament. See what God has for us in the book of 2 Kings here in just a moment. The Bible tells us in Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Brother Bobby Boyd if you would pray for us please. Amen. If you would take your Bibles, we're going to go to the first chapters of 2 Kings. I say first chapters because we're going to look at several of them, uh, beginning in chapter 2 in just a moment. <clears throat> uh, when you look at the book, beginning of 2 Kings, we find uh, the end of Elijah's ministry and the beginning of Elisha's ministry. Much of the kings is taken up with the events surrounding the kings, but there seems to be maybe just a moment here where God, if you would, goes a different direction. Yes, the kings are still evident. We see that in chapters 1, 3, and then again in chapters number 7 as we get past this section. But it's almost like he takes a pause for a moment in going on about the kings and the, the really important, if you would, people of the day and dwells on his man and who he's dealing with and does it for a very specific reason. In chapters number 2, in 2 Kings chapter 2, I'll give you just, we won't read verses now. I'm just going to give you an overview. And then we'll jump into the details of the verses here in just a minute. But I'd like to highlight three chapters here, 2 Kings chapters 2, 4, and 6. The three main stories that we see featured uh, feature three young men and their interactions with Elisha. This is the only point in Scripture. There's one time in 1 Kings chapter number 20 that it is mentioned, but aside from that, between 2 Kings chapter 2 and 2 Kings chapter 6 is the only time we have the mention of the sons of the prophets. And it is a group of men that we know not a whole lot about, but through what we learn, it is an understanding of these are the next generation of prophets to be raised up. In chapter number 2, we have Elijah being taken up to heaven in a whirlwind, and the sons of the prophets are in that passage. In chapter number 4, maybe the most famous of these three chapters, at the end of chapter number four, we have Elisha is teaching them what they should do. And in the middle of class, 
He takes a break, turns to one of his servants, we're not sure exactly who, and says, hey, I need you to make some pottage. So he goes to make some pottage, and we know the young man, one of the men, goes and finds wild gourds uh, and puts death in the pot. And that's where we get that story, and it's a great story and all of that. And then in chapter number 6, we see the sons of the prophets once again. And in chapter number 6, it's a short story. It's where they come to Elisha and said, hey, listen, where we're staying is too small. Uh, we can't fit in the dormitory that we're currently in, and we were wondering if we could get your blessing on building a bigger dormitory. And he says, not a problem. Go, go build a dormitory. And so in the midst of building this bigger place for them to teach and live, uh, the axe falls off. The axe head falls off the axe um, uh, handle, goes into the, the creek, if you would, or into the water, and, and then he throws in a stick and it swims. Those are the three stories that we see evident here at the beginning of 2 Kings. Now, there are, before we get into this, there's consistencies that we see. And, and this passage has always intrigued me because it has helped me in how I deal with college kids because I want to have the patience of Elisha. Because you, you watch Elisha and his dealings with the sons of the prophets, it's incredible. Be, because each story presents its own set of problems. And Elisha handles each of these problems with grace, with the power of God, with an obvious walk with God and answers their questions and heals things and does things perfectly. And I would like to be that way someday. And I'm not going to dwell on that entirely today, but I see several things. I, I see all three of these stories have a healthy uh, dose of energy. You know, in the first, we have, uh, they're looking for Elijah for three days. And we'll get into the details of that. And the second one, they're looking for herbs and the energy in which he went and found the gourds. He didn't grab one or two. The Bible says he grabbed a lap full. All right. And we know that they used to have an outer garment that was split at the sides and the front uh, would be down to their ankles and they would pick that up and use it to carry things. And so it would have been a, a lot of gourds. So there was energy exerted in this. All right. He didn't just grab two or three. He probably grabbed 20. All right. If there's anything I know about college, thing, college kids, they don't do anything with moderation, all right? Uh, if it's bad, it's way off, all right? If it's good, it's too good. I mean, it, it, there's extremes in all of this. Uh, uh, and then in the third story, they're cutting down trees. Obviously, he's doing it with such fervor. He's not aware. How many of you guys ever been hitting with an ax and the ax head has fallen off? It's gone from doing a great job, not loose at all, and all of a sudden it just falls off. Yeah, nobody. Because that's not how it happens. It loosens. Ah, it'll be okay. Whack. Ooh, it's getting really loose. Oh, man, it's falling off like an inch. I got two more inches. Wham. You know what I see? I see an energy without a lot of knowledge. All right, so you see energy. You see a lot of immaturity. All right, in the first, they have no discretion in chapter 2. In chapter 4, no discernment. In chapter 6, no degree of preparation. You know, I see also in this, it's a time of learning. You know, in the first story, they learned of the power of God. In the second, they learned of the provision of God. In the third, they learned the protection of God. And each of these stories involves a miracle. In the first, the miracle of transferring of God's power from Elijah to Elisha. And it was immediately evident. The second, we see the transforming of something foolish into something edible. That's a miracle. It's one thing to take something that doesn't taste good and make it taste good. That's no small miracle. But to take something that's killing you 
And not only is now it is good, but it is healing you. That's a miracle. And then in, the, in, in chapter 6, we see the miracle of rescuing somebody from the consequences of poor preparation. All miracles. All things that we see pay, taking place in these three stories. The more I look at these passages, though, the more I believe the Lord is directing our attention to this single theme. And it is this, trusting God. You see, in 1 Kings chapter number 18, we have Elijah at the zenith of his ministry. Chapter 18 is when he calls down fire from heaven. He slays the prophets of Baal. I mean, things are on the rise. I mean, he's got people helping him kill all the prophets of Baal. But how quickly things change. In chapter number 19, Jezebel threatens Elijah. And the man that stood up against everyone in chapter 18 couldn't stand up to Jezebel in chapter 19 and we begin at the beginning of the end of Elijah's ministry. Now, today is not the time, and Pastor preached an incredible message on this recently, about this, this happening in Elijah's life, and I'm not going to highlight that. But I simply want to say that Elijah lost his ministry because he failed to trust God, not only in his care of himself, but in the fact that he would take, there were those still that could be used by God that weren't Elijah. Twice in chapter 19, Elijah says, I and I only serve thee. And what was God's response at the end of that? I have 7,000 that have not bowed the knee. It's almost as though in these first chapters of 2 Kings with Elisha, God is reminding Elisha and the prophets to be, you can and need to trust in me. Elijah, for all his greatness at that moment in his life, somehow something happened. And I'm not criticizing him because I'm not there. I have not lived there. This is not a critical statement. This is just a statement of fact. Somehow his trust in his, his God was lost between chapter 18 and 19. And even though God made his power evident in the life of Elijah, he couldn't see that trusting in God would allow him to use others for the future. But in Elisha's case, very much different. I'd like to draw our attention to these three passages, three quick things I believe we can learn in how to trust God. Go to chapter 2, 2 Kings chapter number 2, verse number 7. And we're going to interject ourselves into the story. We already know that Elisha is following Elijah. And Elisha refuses to leave the side of Elijah regardless of his prodding to do so. Twice in this passage, the sons of the prophets come to Elisha and they were a very encouraging folk because they basically said, hey, by the way, do you know Elijah's going to die today? And Elisha's like, I'm aware. I don't know how they know the Bible doesn't say. All we know is they knew. And I don't even know how they knew. But twice they come to him and said, hey, your master's about ready to kick the bucket. They didn't give him a solution. They're just saying, hey, by the way, that guy you're following I don't know how much longer you're going to be following him. Verse number seven. We see that Elisha and Elijah leave the town. They go into the wilderness. And it says in verse seven, and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood to view afar off. And they too, talking about Elisha and Elijah, stood by Jordan. Go to verse 12. And Elisha saw it, talking about the chariot of fire. And he cried, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. 
He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and smote the waters and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he had also smitten the waters, or smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Verse 15. And when the sons of the prophets, look at where they're at, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed themselves to the ground before him. Verse 16. And they said unto him, Behold now, there be with thy servants fifty strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord hath taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. Now, this, this statement from the sons of the prophets is idiocy on another level. And, and I'd like to, to make this statement as my first point this evening is this. What we have to do when it comes to trust God, we have to trust that what God takes, he does it perfectly. God had just taken Elijah from the face of the earth. He had removed an incredible man of God from this place and in his place with Elisha. And the, and the sons of the prophets from a distance are saying, hey, listen, maybe, just maybe, the Spirit of God lifted him up. And because God didn't know what to do with him, maybe he just threw him in a valley or threw him in some rocks. Or, well, we don't know. We know he's not here. He's got to be somewhere. He might be hurting because, you know, God took him. And there's no telling what God actually did with him. How foolish. How foolish. It's often that way in our lives when God takes something, it's hard for us to trust that he did it perfectly. And, and maybe we're not going to accuse him of throwing somebody in the, in the rocks or throwing somebody in a valley, but, but the, the questions arise in honest questions. God, we saw what you took, but we're not sure why. We, we saw what you took, but we're not sure where. We saw what you took, but... From our vision, from where we're standing, we're not sure that it was done perfectly. And I see in chapter 2, this is a hard lesson, and I hesitated to say this because, to be real honest, I can't, I can't say with experience. Because I've had things taken, but not on the same level as many in here. But it doesn't make it any less true. Just because I maybe have not experienced it on the level that others have. And the reality is when we trust God is sometimes the most difficult type of trust is when something is removed from our lives, trusting that how God did it was perfectly done. Sometimes he takes our health. Sometimes he takes financial security. Sometimes he takes friends. You know, it's a good deal of trust in God to remind ourselves what God takes, he takes perfectly. What a testimony of Job. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And Jesus Christ put an exclamation point on that statement in Matthew 20 says this, Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own these aren't easy statements, but they're truthful. 
I observe several things about trusting God when things are taken. I see this first. Those closest to the man of God have the clearest view. You know, Elisha didn't go looking for Elijah because he was standing next to him when he got taken. You know, I, I, I realize this. Sometimes people, when they are questioning how God has taken things, it's because of where they're viewing it from. They're not viewing it from a place where God's presence has been. They're viewing it from a distance. And I think sometimes we'll just remind ourselves that the closer we get to God, the clearer, the harder things of God tend to become. I also see this, our lack of trust in God is revealed when we fail to believe the man of God. You know, you see in verse number 17, that they, we read through verse 16, um, and at the end of verse 16, he said, you shall not send. This is Elisha talking to the sons of the prophets, verse 17, and when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send. You know, pastor says this often, but it's very true. It's true in the fact of when people come and often ask spiritual authority for advice about something, especially in the things that are hard, the answer that they receive is not the answer they were looking for. So they do what the sons of the prophets did, and they push, and they push, until the man of God says, send. Send. And they walk out. I knew he was on my side. What, what a, we had a, a picture of that in Balaam. Isn't that what Balaam did? God, should I go? No, you should not go. Let me ask him again. God, should I go? No, you should not go. I'm going to ask him again. God, okay, go. It's not because he wanted him to go. But because God's not going to stand in the way of something he gave you. It's called a free will. And unfortunately, if we're not careful when we're not close to God, it is revealed in how we treat the advice given from the man of God. And Pastor just preached on authority just the other day. That's what I get out of it. I get out of it that when I get advice from the man of God and I do not take it, I am a revelation that I am not close enough to God to take good advice. It's just that simple. You know, the third thing I see, time is wasted when we fail to trust God. Look, 1,800 hours were spent. 1,800. 50 young men for three days. That's only counting that they looked for 12 days and rested, or 12 hours and rested 12 hours. All right, if they look for 24 hours, 72 hours, that's 3,600 hours wasted. If they would have just said, hey, Elijah said, no, don't go look. He's not out there. Okay, great. Yeah. Remember the Bible tells Ephesians chapter 5, something that we see evident in the, person, in the life of somebody who is wise. Ephesians 5, 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The very first thing that shows the way that we know we are wise. What? Redeeming the time. You know, we see abundant in the life of fools, time wasters. 
And you know how much time is wasted when we refuse to listen to spiritual advice? It's amazing how we will say, I trust the authority, the spiritual authority in my life. But then they say something and we have to go and prove it by experience before we trust them. That's not trust. That's sight. Trust is akin to faith. Faith cannot be evident in our lives if it is about something that is seen. Something that is seen is not faith or trusted. That is experience. You know what God's not in? It's not that we are supposed to live lives. uh, It doesn't say um, that without experience it is impossible to please God. It is without faith. Then this is when it's hardest. When we have to trust God that what he has taken, he did so perfectly. I see secondly in chapter number four, another way that we are to trust God is found in the story of death in the pot, verses 38 through verse 40. Second Kings chapter four, verse 38 through 40. And Elisha came again to Gilgal. There was a dearth in the land and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. And he said unto his servant, set, set on the great pot and see the pottage for the sons of the prophets. I've seen this great pot. It was in the kitchen on Friday night when they were cooking pozole for the Spanish church. That is a great pot. You can serve some people with that. And one went out into the field to gather herbs. That was a bad idea to begin with. You don't put herbs in soup. <laughs> and he found a wild vine and gathered thereof wild gourds his lap full and came and shredded them into the pot of pottage for they knew them not. So they poured out for the men to eat and it came to pass as they were eating of the pottage that they cried out and said, O thou man of God, there's death in the pot. They could not eat thereof. You know, the statement in chapter 2 where they're questioning that God just threw Elijah's body somewhere randomly they're still pretty much on the same line of thinking. Not much has changed yet because we see here that they grab wild gourds and it says that they did not know what they were. Now, I had a Judas betray me recently in the college. She was kind enough to have her parents invite me over for dinner and I was enjoying an incredible Mexican meal. It was so good. And as I sat down, she says, there was the green and red salsa. She's like, what do you like best? I'm like, I'm a green salsa person. I like green salsa. She said, I'd like for you to try the red. My mom made it. Okay, I'd like to try that. I tried it. (laughs) I'm not necessarily against red salsa, but that red salsa hit something in the back of my throat that hasn't been hit in a bit. I thought, hmm, that was a little odd. All right, green salsa, here we come. And then at the end, I thought, okay, it couldn't bend that. Maybe it was just something else. So I put a little bit of red salsa on the last bite. Bam, hit the same thing in the back of my throat before. And then I come to find out there was death in the salsa. <laughs> the salsa had been made with worms. I did not know what it was. But that was because there was a Judas. Who will not be named. Hey, but that's what's up. Okay, that's one thing. But to say, okay, he's coming full. He has, he has a lap full. And he brings it down. There, there's got to be friends hanging out. They're standing around. He puts these things down. And they're like, hey, what is that? I don't know. Ask him. I've never seen him before. Oh, ask her. She's a good cook. Oh, I've never seen that before. 
Has anybody ever seen these before? No, nobody knows what it is. All right, let's cut them up, put them in. Mm. I don't know about you, but it's been a long time in my life since that has ever been a reality in my mind. That something I don't know goes in here. But that was, it seemed like common sense. Oh, we don't know what it is. Chuck it in. Here's what we want to get. I'm making light of that, but I want to bring our back attention back to this. Not only do we have to trust God that what he takes, he does perfectly. We have to trust that what he gives, he does sufficiently. You see, for some reason, he's sitting there watching them make the soup. It doesn't say that Elisha sent him to er- for herbs. It doesn't say Elisha sent him to get more food to put in. It doesn't say that. I, I get the indication that this man went out on his own. I don't know if he was looking at that pot. He said, that looks a lot like something we used to have when I was a kid called stone soup. <laughs> and it doesn't look like there's a lot of flavor, not a lot of sustenance. And I don't think that's going to be enough. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out here and I'm going to find something else that I can put in here that will add some spice to it. It's a little too boring for me. I'm not sure that this is going to be enough. And for whatever reason, he went and had to find something to spice up what the man of God was providing for them to eat. My point today is simply to this. We have to trust God that what he has given us is sufficient. I don't know about you, but oftentimes the ministry is not really exciting. But it's sufficient. Sometimes a Christian life may not be exciting, but it's sufficient. Sometimes the word of God may not always be exciting. It's sufficient. Sound doctrine. It's not very exciting, but it's healthy. Good standards. Not very exciting, but they're holy. Good preaching. Rarely exciting. I can see the looks on your face. (laughs) But it is wholesome. Submissive wives aren't making history. They're making happy homes. Spiritually strong fathers are rarely rich, but they build families with Christ-honoring children. Godly children are not popular, but they have hope for tomorrow. I'm saying this, we we can look at the money part, but that's not what I'm looking at. I'm looking at the day-to-day. And where is our trust in God that what he has given us is sufficient? I don't need to go out to what I don't know. I don't have to go over here and find something in a book about an author I've never heard from before, but he's got some new enlightening um, way to explain something in the Word of God. Oh, that's amazing. Really? You know what I've done? I'm no longer satisfied with this. So I got to go find a book written by somebody I don't know to tell me something exciting. I'm telling you, God says what I've given you is sufficient. You don't have to go look somewhere else to find it. Hey, I'm, not, I'm not criticizing ever reading self-help books. That's not my point. But I'm saying if they ever disagree from here and the spiritual authority that I can see, I'm grabbing some wild gourds. And I'm taking these wild gourds. And the problem is this, if you're looking at me, and if I just use myself for an example, if I'm going out and grabbing wild gourds and something that's not sound doctrine, and I'm chucking them in the pot of my family, I am killing those that are eating out of the same pot. Yeah. 
that I'm eating. It's not just endangering my life. It's endangering those that eat from the same source I do. And not only my family, but now my ministry and everywhere I go. If I'm taking things into my life that's wild, that's unknown, that's just not, I I just need something else. There's got something I'm missing and what God's given me is not sufficient. I'm taking those wild things, those unknown things, and I'm throwing them into the pot of my influence. And I'm affecting those that are eating from my influence. And here's the hard part is more often than not, Different than this story in the life of us when we are do that. We're not within shouting distance of the man of God to rescue our death pot. The reality was if it hadn't been for the man of God and the power of God, they would have all died. Death in the pot was not an expression. This is really bad food. Look, I've eaten some food that was bad. I didn't say this is deathly. My taste buds said that. But this is the word of God. There's no, this is an actual story. This is not an expression. This is a reality. And the reality is this, as Pastor mentioned so perfectly this morning, unfortunately, so often when we grab things that are wild and unknown, that we have it run through the uh, spiritual authority in our lives and run by the word of God in our lives, and we haven't checked those things and we throw them in, by the time they're in the pot, it's all been poisoned. Which means this. I no longer have a ministry because my effect has been poisoned. Now what am I supposed to do? We fail in this attitude of gratitude. Add in the wild gourd. We have to do a couple things. First of all, you have to add in something to counteract the bad. You, you can't take it out. How do you remove seasoning from a pot of soup you can't and I I looked at the meal you know and I like to look at meetings and scripture and you know this great truth what the meal represents I found nothing you know why because the significance is not what the meal represents it is in who told you to put it in The power of the meal was not the meal. The power of the meal was through the man of God and the power of God that was infused into it. The meal is less significant. What matters most is when I add in what is needed to counteract the poison, it better come from the right source and it better come with the power of God. Because it's going to take a miracle to fix what I have poisoned. This means I can't do it in the arm of the flesh. It means I can't do it from just so-and-so. I've got to find a source that is from the authority that God's put in my life through the word of God and ask for the power of God to change what I have messed up. Not only do we have to trust God. And look, look at the beginning of 2 Kings chapter 4. We get an amazing illustration in the very same chapter Actually, it's tied to the sons of the prophets as well. Talking about what you have, God has given is sufficient. We have the story, very first number one. Now there cried a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets unto Elisha. This is the story where she had a debt that she could not pay. Elisha said, what do you have? She says, I have oil. She had two things. and The only two things that she owned was sufficient to fix her problem with the power of God. She had oil. 
She had children. She had needed the oil to sell. She needed the children to get the pots and to help her stack them all up. My point is simply this. If we will realize that what God has given us is sufficient, we can pay off the debt and live off the rest. Or we can be at the end of the chapter where that's not sufficient, so I'm going to go and grab something wild and unknown. I'm going to chuck that in and pray for the best. We've got to trust God with what he takes, what he gives. Third and second second Kings chapter number six. First three verses. And the sons of the prophets said unto Elisha, Behold now the place where we dwell with thee is too straight for us. Let us go, we pray thee, unto Jordan. Take fence every man a beam. Let us make us a place there where we may dwell. And he answered, Go ye. They have the blessing of the man of God. It's a good work. And one said, Be content, I pray thee, and go with thy servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with him, with them. And when they came to Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was felling a beam, the axe head fell into the water. And he cried and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. And the man of God said, Where fell it? And he showed him the place. And he cut down a stick, cast it in thither, and the iron did swim. Therefore said he, take it up to thee. And he put out his hand and took it. Now, this is what I get out of this. We've got to trust what God allows. He does so purposefully. You know, this young man was not doing anything wrong. He was involved in a good work with good people for the glory of God. And something went wrong in the midst of a whole lot of good intentions and well-laid plans. Isn't these the, aren't these the things often that frustrate us the most? Why me? I'm in your work. I'm doing your will. I'm making sacrifices for you. Then this happens. Look, we don't have a biblical purpose told us specifically of why this took place. The story ends there. Sons of prophets are never mentioned again in Scripture. That's it. So there's no grand scheme that if you look all the way down in 1 Chronicles, here's the sons of the prophet. They had this great edifice, and the guy who had the axe that fell in the water is the preacher. It's not there. We don't know. But I got to thinking, maybe, just maybe, God did this to see who he would look to for help. Maybe God did this to show them once again that God can meet their needs, even when they're really small. I'm aware that God doesn't always solve our problems by throwing a stick in the water. Sometimes he leaves the problems there. Sometimes the axe head falls in the water and we never find it. Sometimes the axe head falls in the water. We don't tell anybody. We tell the guy we didn't ever borrow it. Look, that's not what I'm recommending. I'm simply saying this. You know what? Sometimes God allows things because he has a purpose. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul reports about the thorn that God allowed in his life. Said he besought the Lord how many times? Three times. And then he gives a twofold reason. He said that God has allowed it lest I should be exalted above measure. And secondly, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Maybe for you, he has allowed someone in your life that annoys you. I hope that is not your spouse. Maybe for some, it's an obnoxious boss. Maybe for others, it's an accident-prone personality. 
But maybe for some it's just a different stage in life that we didn't see coming. I'm simply saying this, if we're going to trust in God, we don't just trust him in what he takes. We don't just trust him in what he gives. We've got to trust him in what he allows. And realize that his purpose and his ways are far higher than ours. Realize that what he takes, he does perfectly. What he gives, it's sufficient. And what he allows, there's a purpose in it. I don't know if he was trying to teach Elisha this, or the sons of the prophets, or both. I know Elisha passed it with flying colors. And I want to be like that. I know when I see this passage, I see myself represented more in the sons of the prophets than in Elisha. But I'd like to flip that script. And that the trust that I have to God, I can trust him in all areas of life, regardless of what it is. Father, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. Lord, help us to truly look to you with gratitude, knowing that your ways are perfect, higher than ours. Lord, we will never understand so much of what happens in life, but God, we can know this, that your way is perfect. Your supply is sufficient. And you have a grand purpose. We will simply submit to your will and your way and allow you to get what you deserve most. And that's a little bit of glory from this pile of dirt. 